On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we're joined by 13-year NBA veteran and NBA champion Antonio Daniels. Antonio is the color analyst for the New Orleans Pelicans, so we talked to him about the NBA restart, Zion Williamson, the Thunder, and who he likes to make the NBA Finals. Before Antonio's interview, we break down the biggest news in local college football. Lincoln Riley isn't going anywhere, and the Sooners start training camp on Friday. In the National College Football Roundup, we discuss the ACC's schedule release, what the SEC and Big 12 are going to do, and some of the latest coronavirus and seating capacity updates from big programs. We wet the beak and look at the Lakers-Clippers line for opening night and the Thunder Jazz line for Saturday. We give you our winners and losers of the week and give an update on the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame induction for the class of 2020 in keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Oh, man, Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Thursday, July 30th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night, and we have an absolutely spectacular interview with Antonio Daniels. Ted, he talks about essentially everything going on in the NBA right now. <laughs> everything going on with the NBA right now the league compared to uh, past years, uh, who the bubble benefits, who it doesn't. I mean, covers absolutely everything. Yeah. Even get some picks in there. It even picks the NBA Finals. So just a fantastic interview with Antonio. But first, more importantly, Teddy, the first Ikerd girl has arrived. I have a niece officially. What? Yes, yes. Now, for those of you that know me, know I have two brothers. So it's three boys. It were kind of a small family, three boys. My oldest brother has already had two boys. And my middle brother, Sam, just had a baby girl. They're calling her Rosie. Named her Rose, but we're calling her Rosie. And I'm sure that girl won't get pampered by my mother oh my at all. Unbelievable. Now, this is fantastic news, but unfortunately for you, um, the pressure is now on. I mean, you're, you're the last one that's left here. So, I mean, and maybe, but maybe not. Oh, no, the pressure to have sex with my <laughs> wife. Oh, no. Why? Why? <laughs> I, think, I think I'll be able to handle it, hopefully. Oh, gosh. Awesome. It, is there actually pressure? What's happening? Well, there, I guess there's not. You've I'm already, getting I mean, old. They've already it's got fine. a bunch of grandkids. I mean, no big deal. 
Yeah, I guess I'm about to be 30 this year. Oh my gosh, maybe there is pressure. Ah, I'm old. The, you're going to be like me. You're going to be the old dad at soccer practice. Cool. Oh gosh. <laughs> all right, let's just talk about football now that I, I need to get my mind off all of that. Uh, let's get to our local college football news, and that is brought to you by Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer. Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Ale Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you and go follow them on social media at at Will and Wiley. If you're drinking some, tag us in your social media posts to let them know. All right, Ted. Lincoln Riley's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, He comes to or officially signs his contract extension. It got approved by OU Board of Regents on Tuesday. This all was in the works in February. He is now locked in through the 2025 season. Over the next six seasons, his average salary will be $7.535 million, making him one of the top six highest paid coaches in college football. But maybe more importantly, Ted, we talk about this team playing for a national championship, and winning a national championship. Alex Grinch gets the bump up to $1.8 million. I know financial times are weird, but that is huge for Lincoln Riley because, Ted, when it comes down to it, there's only a handful of jobs where Alex Grinch is going to make more than $1.8 as a head coach. So, that's a great way to try to get this guy to stick around. Yeah, money talks, right? I mean, uh, you think there's nothing better than that. I mean, here's the thing. I know people, the timing for this is not great, but everyone needs to remember, first of all, this is all agreed to in February before any of this stuff happened. Okay. So before and, the world just fell apart. Right. So and the board of regents just met and okayed it all. So the timing is really weird, and I get that. But here's the thing, man. Alex Grinch, $1.8 million. That's the going rate for a top defensive coordinator in college football. I mean, he's actually, you know, half a million or so under the highest paid defensive coordinator, I believe. I know Venables makes over $2 million. There's a couple of guys out there that make over $2 million as defensive coordinators. So that's the going rate. And here's the problem. If you don't pay him that, there'll be a hundred teams lined up that will. You know, that's just kind of how it goes. You've got to you've got to pay the going rate to keep those guys around. That's just that's just how it is. Um, I think he's worth it. I think Alex Grinch, what they did in year one has been fantastic. I think they are, you know, mentally, um, philosophically you know, just a foundation of what it is that they want to do and how they want to play defense. I think year one is the most important, and I think they did a good job with that. I think the players have bought in. I think the players really enjoy playing for these guys, which is always really important. Um, they hold them accountable. They're, they're, not, they're not players, coaches, or pushovers, or however you want to phrase that. They hold their guys accountable, but the most important thing is guys got better. 
I think pretty much everyone on our defense at every position had by far the best year they've ever had in their career production wise. That means something. And I think that's just going to continue. I think it's going to get better and better. And the best thing is what they've done on the recruiting trail, maybe the best thing overall. And this defense is starting to look like they want it to. What I mean by that is big, long, athletic players on the line of scrimmage and at the linebacker position, more size, more height, more speed in the secondary. So I think it's, uh, I think it's first of all, it's something you had to do, but <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, you're happy to do it because he's making your team better. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it, and I don't think anyone has any issues with the amount of money now that Lincoln Riley is making. I mean, when you look at it, what, the third best record in college football history for a coach in his first three seasons as a head coach? What, 36 Amazing. and six? Yeah, when you're the, you've got the third best record ever in your first three seasons, that's pretty damn good. There's not much you can complain about, I know, he hasn't won a college football playoff game. Guys, I get it. But he's been pretty damn fantastic. And the fact that locking him in, adding those two extra years on the end of this deal, I mean, it takes away all the NFL rumors, Teddy. And I think that's extremely valuable on the recruiting trail, like you were saying. It'll take away all the NFL rumors until November. <laughs> whenever whenever whoever it is is on the hot seat and the first name to pop up is going to be Lincoln Riley. I mean, that's just going to – when you're a top young coach in college football, especially an offensive mind, that's kind of the NFL starting to do a lot of the things you see in college. His name's always going to come up. Now, I think this keeps him here. I mean, $7.5 a year is a pretty big anchor, you know, to, to keep him around here. Here's what I think is the funny thing. And – it's, it's so weird. You know, college football coaches, they make more and more money. Dabo's over nine. I think Nick is eight or nine reported, and some say he makes closer to ten. But it's got to be the only profession in the world where you make an unbelievable amount of money, but you will never, ever have a chance to spend any of it can't go anywhere can't take any vacation you all you could do is buy a bigger and bigger house i mean you can't like what's lincoln gonna do drive around town in a lamborghini or ferrari well believe it or not he drives a lincoln <laughs> right exactly it's the weirdest thing all the guys like they all make a ton of money but they don't want to do anything and, but and, watch film and they never retire either they, exactly. they coach they coach essentially until they're on their deathbeds Nick Saban has a – it's got to be a $10 million house on that lake that he goes to. Uh, that's his wife because whenever you see him on the lake, he drives like a $10,000 pontoon boat around the lake. So has no concept of money, doesn't care about it. All he's thinking about is recruiting, watching film. It's just strange. Like Bill Belichick, how's he ever going to spend the amount of money that he's, he's made? How? There's no way because these guys are psychos. There's a reason you and I aren't in coaching. Um, 
number one, our wives didn't want us to do it. <laughs> number two, I don't know if we're crazy enough. Maybe we are. We probably are. But Yeah, I don't think it would look good. If I was the head coach and I just got $7.5 million or whatever the raise ended up being, but my contract's now $7.5 million a year, it would look bad because I'd be showing up in a million-dollar Ferrari the next day <laughs> into my coaching spot at the facility. <laughs> Yeah, this one's new. <laughs> All right, Ted, OU starts training camp on Friday. Here we go, baby. It is here. It's time to see if they can actually practice some football and keep everyone healthy. Now, I've talked to some guys on the staff, and they feel really good about their plan for the practices. They used the OTAs the last couple of weeks to essentially establish their format for practices. And they've had zero positive tests doing it that way. So the training camp practices are really just going to be normal. And I think that's the way it's got to be, Teddy, because you can, I guess you can space guys out whenever you can throughout practice. But you're only going to know if you can play football this year if you play actual football, you know what I mean? That, that's just the way it has to be, right? You got to run, hit, tackle. You got to do all of those things. You have to let guys run into each other. Like, that's just what you have to do. Nope. I agree 100%. Um, I don't know what it would look like if we marched a, a college football team out onto the field to play a game and offensive line never went up against the the defensive line. The linebackers never worked on tackling the running backs or the tight ends, and the the corners never got up in press coverage. And you know those are things that you have to do, and you have to practice them. And you can't just practice them once a week in a limited amount. It's got to be rep after rep after rep after rep after rep. I mean, God, how many one on ones do you guys typically do against the defensive line in a typical training camp week? Oh, I mean, gross. Just, My least it, favorite drill ever. It takes like, what, five to ten seconds a rep, and you guys sit down there for a half an hour, it seems like, just one after another, after another, after another. So you got to do it. You got to practice it. And, you know, it's, it's good that they're, they're, they feel good about that to where, you know, it would suck as a coach walking out on the field every day trying to prepare your team for a season and you didn't believe in what you were doing. You didn't feel like what you were doing is, is adequate or good enough. So I love to hear that they, they like the plan. Yeah, and then uh, one guy that has really shown, them, shown some things uh, during the OTA sessions is Austin Stogner, your favorite, yes. your favorite, Teddy. He's, he's really come along in the last couple of weeks, and the staff thinks that he's going to be an absolute monster and is only going to – to continue to get better. And I know we've been a little worried about wide receiver depth, right? With the looming suspension for Trajan Bridges, uh, the Jaden Hazelwood injury, Theo Howard still being kind of touch and go with the Achilles. The staff's feeling a little better about the wide receiver depth because of how Obi Obialo has looked. They, they say he's been a pleasant surprise and that, he, they knew he looked the part, but they've been really pleased with the way that he can play. So those are a couple positive notes as the Sooners head into training camp offensively. Hopefully, those can be a couple of playmakers that maybe pick up some of the slack, Ted. 
Well, I'm just glad that the staff and you are saying good things about Stogner because it was starting to get a little awkward uh, as often as I was saying it. I'm, I'm glad it's other people are joining the party now. You're like, you're like Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire when he's leaving. <laughs> Who's coming with me? <laughs> I mean, I, I love the guy. I mean, uh, for those that haven't heard me talk about it, I mean, I think he's perfect for this conference. I think that Oklahoma's done more and more stuff with, um, you know, traditional tight end in the box connected to the box stuff. I think he fits that. I think he's, he's big enough and strong enough to block a inline defensive end or a stand-up outside linebacker and have a ton of success. And I also think he's more than capable anywhere on the field to step out as a split-out slot type of guy and win matchups against safeties nickels and linebackers i just think that it's going to be a fantastic year the play action game because we're going to have a huge year running the football that's where it's going to start we're going to protect a young quarterback by running the heck out of the football and that play action i mean lincoln has always watched the patriots offense uh tom brady mcdaniels how they handle it gronkowski how he was a part of it some of those play action pop passes to gronkowski over the middle I know we're going to see some of that stuff with Stogner, and I just I think it's going to be a huge weapon. Huh. And I hope on the in the red zone, in the tight red zone, where you'd see them split Gronkowski out and run either the slant or the fade, and some of those different things with him. I hope that's a, a package we have too. And I kind of wish we had like a heart monitor on you right now because I bet, oh, I bet your heart rate just skyrocketed, <laughs> skyrocketed talking Stogner. Uh, Love it. And he's got the perfect name, right? Oh, it's a great name. It is a great name. Uh, one more piece of local college football news. Missouri State's athletic director, Kyle Motes, told 24-7 Sports that he will not seek payout or pursue legal action against Oklahoma if somehow the opener gets canceled. Well, that seems like a no-duh. I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. Like, I understand, but – I, I really do think that game is still very much up in the air, especially with some of the developments we're about to talk about in the National College Football Roundup. But I just – you know Joe Castiglione will do right by Missouri State if that game ends up getting canceled. And I think Kyle Motes – that was a smart, strategic decision to say something publicly, being like, no, 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 if that game gets canceled, we're all good here. Yeah. Um... You never get invited back to the party if you try and sue the homeowner, you know? So that is a, that's a really good point. <laughs> so if you ever want to uh, establish a connection with Oklahoma to, uh, to schedule some of these games and, and get some of those decent payouts, and, and not just Oklahoma, I mean, anyone else, if you get the reputation of fighting tooth and nail over money for a game that you maybe didn't play, then – maybe that that goes on people hesitant to to bring you in I don't know maybe not but um I think it was good to hear him say that um I think that maybe helps Oklahoma free themselves up a little bit if there were doubts I mean the last thing you want to be doing right now is having to pony up on a on a lawsuit for a game that you didn't play you know and end up uh, you know paying out more than you ever had scheduled for it so I think it's a good thing. I think it's interesting. I'm, you know, I still feel like Oklahoma's going to do everything in their power to play that week zero game against Missouri State because if it's someone else, 
I just I don't know how much control they're going to have over the pay-per-view situation. And I know right now without fans, that's a big revenue producer. So I imagine they want that game pretty bad. Yeah, and we'll see. And, yeah, I think let, let's get to the National College Football Roundup because we got a lot to talk about when it comes to scheduling. And the Roundup is brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools look to reopen in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one iPad setting makes McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. Okay, ACC, what the hell? (laughs) Now, the ACC schedule is out. They're going to split all the TV revenue, including Notre Dame's NBC stuff, because it's going to be a 15-team conference this year, including the Fighting Irish. They're going no divisions. They're going 10 conference games for each team, plus one non-conference game that has to be played in the home state of the ACC team. They're going to make it simple. The top two teams will play in the title game. How about that, Ted? A conference with no divisions where the two best teams play each other. Hmm. That's, does, that, does that sound just a little familiar? Let's see. I wonder if ACC this year is going to say ACC 2020, one true champion. Oh that, no! Is that coming next? No, they're actually going to have a title game, so they can't <laughs> they can't use the one true champion and then split it. <laughs> no, I mean, I honestly love this. I I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be fun. Um, the fact that Notre Dame is going to be in the in the conference is great. Clemson, Notre Dame, going to play. And let's be honest, I I think the best thing that could happen to the ACC as far as everyone paying attention because they they play a championship game every every year but no one's ever seen it because no one cares about Clemson versus whoever what was it, it Clemson I think it was Clemson Virginia. Virginia last year yeah and then Pitt the year before I think it's just it's one of those games that up uh, Clemson's going to win by four touchdowns why do we even watch but the scenario of Notre Dame, I think what, what you want is Notre Dame beating Clemson early at, at Notre Dame and then a rematch in the ACC championship. Winner goes to the college football playoff, you know, where, where Clemson has to win that be game. Sweet. Sign, and, if I can sign up for that right now, sign me up because that sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's a good football team. I mean, College football playoff two years ago, eleven and two, I believe, last year. So I mean, they're they're going to be good again this year. They've got a, a nice schedule. I think it helps the ACC. It gives them a, an added team into that conference that's been down a little bit. They've got some teams. North Carolina has a chance to be a lot better this year. Virginia has been decent. Uh, Syracuse has been decent. Miami, you got to remember, Derek King is now at Miami, the quarterback from Houston. That's a, that's a really good athlete, really good yeah, they player. Yeah, so, named him as the starter this week, so he'll be out I mean, there. I think the ACC is going to be a lot of fun. And 
you know, playing the non-conference game that has to be in the home state of the ACC team that gives them the ability for Florida and Florida State to play for, um, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, all of these these rivalries that they have, South Carolina, Clemson, as Georgia, long Georgia as, Tech, as long as the SEC uh, plays a non-conference game. So um, I I think this is I think it's a really good plan, and I think it has a chance to make a ton of money. I really do. You're going to combine a really big audience with Notre Dame, with a a, a really big conference that's you know got got a team that's got a chance to win a national championship. And you mentioned the SEC. Because clearly, the ACC did the 10 plus one to preserve the in-state rivalry games that they have with the SEC. But in what could quite possibly be the most college football thing ever, when you just talk about the dysfunction of this sometimes, literally minutes after the ACC announces their schedule format, Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated, who has been very dialed in with the SEC during this whole thing, he comes out with a report that although the situation is fluid, that's how he described it, the situation is fluid. The SEC, he reported, the SEC is moving closer to a conference-only 10-game schedule. I mean, what the hell is going on? Do you think the ACC saw that and was like, but – uh, but I thought, I thought we talked about this, guys. What, what happened? I think Ross Dellinger is wrong. Ooh. Um, I may or may not have a mole in the Southeastern Conference. Um, and whenever this report came out, I reached out to my mole and was told that it's looking like a 10 game or 10, yes, 10 game conference schedule plus one non-conference. And it's going to be reported uh, by Friday or maybe before. Or right now, as people listen to this podcast, breaking news. Did we just break news? Is that well, our first breaking news? Here's the thing. You better not make us look stupid, mole. Well, here's the thing. You know this, Gabe. Coaches – a lot of times can be the last people to know anything. Correct. And it's like, well, we just play whoever they tell us to head down. I'm worried about preparing my team. I'm, you know, we're focusing on getting our training camp scheduled together and all that stuff. So I wouldn't take it as gospel, but I, I think that I would lean right now towards the SEC as a 10 game conference schedule plus one, non-conference game now I don't know if that plus one means that that's the big 12 SEC deal that we've talked about because it works out perfectly that those teams that have those in-state rivalries South Carolina Florida Georgia uh, Kentucky if you look at those rivalries and they play those with the ACC it lines up that the teams that do not have that can meet with the big 12 and given the matchups that we already have, there'd be six remaining and it would fit perfectly. So huh. is that what's going to happen? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a, a good possibility, but you know, I, 
I still, at this moment, believe that the SEC is going to have a 10-game conference schedule plus one non-conference. Do you want to hear my ACC conspiracy theory? Oh, dude, you know me, and you know I love I know you love a good conspiracy theory. I've got maybe 30 of them floating around in my head right now. So, (laughs) gosh, that'll be (laughs) – we'll do a special podcast for that one. (laughs) Now, so the Dellinger thing came out, right, that – the SEC had been having discussions about conference only. So a small part of me thinks that the ACC got wind of that and that they came out with this format, this 10 plus one format to essentially put those SEC rivals to back them in a corner because now if the SEC comes out and says we're going conference only, everyone knows who bailed on those games. And Teddy, you know how college football rivalries work in state rivalries. You live amongst the people, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody in the SEC wants to have constant shit talk to them for an entire year that their program, that their conference, where it's supposed to mean more, bailed on those games. I think the ACC, I think this is a little bit more of chess than checkers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I mean, and I like that. I like everything about that theory. My only question is, and I know this report came out by Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated. Also remind everyone that, uh, Sports Illustrated last year had Tennessee as a better overall program uh, they, historically than Oklahoma. They so. also make like nutrition supplements now. I don't know if you saw that floating around on Twitter. I think that yeah. was real, by the way, which is hilarious. It, I think it is real. And yeah, do you want your supplement store uh, or a supplement provider breaking college football news? Not necessarily sure about that. But here's here's what I don't understand. Why with the SEC not want to play those? They've been telling us all along they want to play a full season. They want to play all the games that they can. Why would the SEC not want to play those big rivalry games? Dude, we're talking about, you know, even though the ACC is going to play 10, you know, the, the non, 10 plus one non-conference schedule, have a conference championship game. They're set, Big Ten. Everyone's set uh, except for the Big 12 and SEC. We're talking about if you've got 20% fans in the stands, we're talking about teams 60, 70, 80 million dollars under their budget for this year. That's if you play with 20% in the stands. So, these teams, these, these ADs should be wanting to do everything in their power to play the best football games they can that they can make the most money off of. And I think these non-conference games, these rivalry games, I just can't imagine why the SEC wouldn't want to play those. Yeah, just schedule them at the end of the year like where they're normally played. And if you can't play them, then you cancel them. I just don't understand why right now you, if you're the SEC, you come out and you say, you know, no, no, we're going conference only. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You mentioned the Big 12, Ted. Bob Bowlesby 
said the Big 12 is focused on playing a 12-game schedule, quote, until we get forced into doing something else. Well, the ACC announced their <laughs> format today, and maybe they're getting forced into doing something else. But Bob Bowlesby said the conference is holding three different dates for the Big 12 championship game. So it appears this was the Big 12 strategy. Let's try to get a full 12-game schedule in between August 29th and December 19th. That's, math is hard, 17 weeks. Now they've discussed a nine-game conference-only schedule and a nine-plus-one with the one non-conference game format as backup plans. Now he said all of that before the ACC announcement. So I think they're being forced to do something other than the 12-game schedule. Now, maybe they'll still try it. I don't know. But there is a big meeting for the Big 12 presidents on Monday. And a big part of me is starting to think that it is going to be the nine conference games plus one non-conference, which leaves, if it is that way, it leaves some Big 12 teams with some very interesting decisions, Ted. I just don't know, but it seems like the Big 12 is going to be the last one to make an official decision, doesn't it? It does. Um, you know, and I, I honestly, I don't mind that. I really right. don't. Um, let's, I, I still think that they're trying to find a dance partner with the SEC, and I think that is definitely in the Big 12's best interest. You know, SEC is a massive revenue producer, and if you can get in on that action and try and have a, a cross-conference um, challenge or whatever you want to call it, I think that would be great and do it in week zero um, for the teams that can schedule it that week. Uh, I think it would be perfect for the Big 12. You know, the Big 12 is at a, a disadvantage with everyone else, you know. When you're talking about playing games and you're talking about putting a season together and if everyone just says, ah, we're not going to play um, non-conference games, well, the Big 12 is left with nine football games, you know, um, unless they schedule in a, a rematch with a random Big 12 opponent. Like, I don't know how they would set that up. They talked about that. Um, Bullsby presented that before or maybe it was uh, – Maybe it was Heather Dent. Someone presented that as Bob Bowlesby brought that up. So I don't know how they would do that, but they're at a disadvantage. So they do have to kind of wait and see if they can get someone else to, to play ball with them. And if they can't, they got to go from there. And here's the other thing. is like if they can't, then you're, you, they may be playing non-conference games, but it's not going to be with any Power 5 football teams. Right. Which I don't think anyone wants. I mean, obviously we want to see – power five teams play power five teams but at the end of the day you know anything is better than nothing so I, i'm still i've got my fingers crossed on the sec uh you know kind of crossover situation i think that would be awesome yeah we'll see but monday a big day for the big 12 what do you Clearly. think happens you i think it's gonna, something i think it's gonna be nine plus one that's i i don't with, know with why. the sec or just I think it could be one of those whoever you can convince to come play you type situations. It may be one of those where for, for OU, for example, where they're playing their nine conference games and then the Missouri state game. Something okay. Like let me that. ask you this. Now, Oklahoma has a, a built-in reason different than I don't, maybe anyone else in the country 
as to why they would want to play Missouri State instead of Tennessee because they uh, can have a pay-per-view game. And that's a big revenue producer. So I guess what do you think is worth more money for Oklahoma? Because Oklahoma carries a big stick in the Big 12 when it comes to voting for this stuff. If Oklahoma can play Missouri State in week zero as a pay-per-view or play Tennessee as their plus one non-conference game, which one do you think is worth more money? Tennessee, undoubtedly. So you think that Oklahoma would prefer to play Tennessee? I, I just think – now, if you're talking about just a dollar and cents standpoint, I don't know. Like, I, I honestly – I would just be guessing. But the exposure – this is how I'll put it. I think it's worth a lot more it's a national football to game. Oklahoma to play Tennessee than Missouri State. Money be damned, right? The attention, the exposure, taking on an SEC opponent, uh, how vital it could be on the recruiting trail. I don't think it's even close. I mean, it's not even close in my mind. If those are your two choices – Remember the athletic director said he's not going to sue you. You say, sorry, man, canceled, and you play the volunteers. And if you could – and, like, I don't know the details. This is – I'm just spitballing this thing. But if – and I know it's a lot to work through because the SEC is um, – they've got a TV deal. They've got a network deal. And Oklahoma is Fox, and that pay-per-view is a Fox-provided pay-per-view. But if there's a way that they could work out like to where that Tennessee game is a week zero pay-per-view and holy shit. And everyone can kind of share, like you can share some with Missouri State, try and make them somewhat whole. Um, the SEC and the Big Twelve get to share some of that pay-per-view revenue because and I don't know, it, it looks like everyone is gonna have the option of playing week zero if they want it. And so I don't know, like, but as of right now, if you could move that game to week zero and Oklahoma, Tennessee is the only game on week zero, you're talking about a massive pay-per-view dollar figure that the SEC Big 12 could split. Yeah, I, that or would be. SEC Oklahoma could split. That would be awesome. And, and like you said. Uh, someone may say that's the dumbest thing ever. They cannot do that. There's. Do you have any idea? Do you have any idea how many contracts you just violated is right. probably what someone that's a lawyer well, this, listening this to this year is, is saying. a contract trashing season. I mean, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. Ask no... Notre Dame and the <laughs> ACC. No kidding. Um, like you said, Yahoo Sports obtained an email from the NCA that issues a blanket waiver to allow all FBS schools to start on August 29th, a.k.a. week zero. It was requested by the Football Oversight Committee. Clearly, it's all about adding flexibility to the schedule. I'm not sure, Ted, how many games are going to get moved up to week zero, but I, I, could, I guess I could see some people trying to get a non-conference game in week zero. Maybe OU starts a trend. Uh, we saw Kansas do it. I, I just don't know, man. I, I, I understand what the oversight committee is trying to do. I just don't know how many teams are going to be like, you know what? We don't want more time. We actually want less. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. I, I think it 
is the most brilliant move for about 10 different reasons. The first reason being you get to start training camp a week earlier than everyone else, right? You get to start, Oklahoma's going to start training camp on Friday. So that is fantastic. If you're not playing week zero, you got to wait till the seventh. So um, I think that gives you an advantage right there. You can, in a year where you didn't have spring practice, you get to start training camp a week early and there may be a point where they don't play that Missouri state game and they announce that they don't play it, but it's, not announced until after they've had a week of training camp, right? You know, that's, you don't want to kill your training camp. So um, that's the thing. That's why I think it's great. I also think it, it, you know, builds in some extra time before the next game for not just testing purposes, coronavirus purposes, but, you know, soft tissue injuries, pulls, bumps, bruises, uh, whatever someone may have for the first full contact game of a year, you get, a little bit of time to regroup if you caught an ankle or a shoulder or something in there. So, I mean, I just, I, I think it's fantastic. And I'm shocked that more people didn't try and do this immediately whenever they came out with the, the training camp rules and the schedule. Yeah. And, and we'll see if some other teams try to jump on it, but it seems kind of late at this point to me. I, I just think that, well, I think that's one of the things that took so long, Gabe is, you know, the football oversight committee requested it, you know, typically I think the NCAA would say, sure, play on week zero. What do we care whenever you play the game? But I think someone in the room said, well, don't you think this is an unfair advantage that they can start practice before everyone else? You want to know, you know, that's exactly what happened. I'm guessing you want to know how this probably got so much attention from the oversight committee. They probably went, wait, Joe Castiglione just moved his game to week zero because you got to remember who's on the football oversight committee. There's a bunch of athletic directors on there. Like, I thought you were going to say that, you know, we're the number one podcast for all athletic directors out there. And they heard that idea on this show as soon as they announced that. Well, that also pro- probably <laughs> true also, because we know that this is the most intelligent. This is for highly intelligent human beings, such you, as athletic directors. You drag the uh, intelligence, uh, the average way up. But yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Now, a little coronavirus update for some teams around the country. So, Teddy, I know we made fun of Michigan State, kind of. Well, turns out 16 players and four staff members tested positive for coronavirus. So, yeah, that whole two-week shut-it-down thing makes a little more sense now, don't you think? Just a little bit. No, that's – yeah, I, I get it. Uh, they had a little a outbreak piece. this day. Uh, I didn't know Magic City had a, uh, a sister uh, gentleman's club up there in Michigan. But, hey, East Lansing's a fun town. I guess they do. They get wild up there in East Lansing, apparently. Wonder how the wings are. Now, Michigan State not going to return to activities until August 4th. I'm sure they're very happy about that. Now, I'm not even going to really waste our time talking about Rutgers. I hope those 15 kids are healthy. Okay, don't really care. I hope they're all right. Now, the Texas Longhorns, corona-free. The Baylor Bears, corona-free. That is good for Oklahoma. I know there's some crazy OU fans out there going, I hope all those Longhorns have the virus. Don't wish for that. Please don't do that. We want as much good news 
as you can get from Big 12 teams, Ted, the better, right? I mean, that's good for OU. It's good for Oklahoma State. It's good for football in the state of Oklahoma. There are people that are out there waiting for any negative news, any team that has an outbreak, any team that has multiple tests positive to point and look and say, look, see this? This is why we shouldn't be doing it. It's why we should not be playing college football. You look at the, the Marlins in Major League Baseball. Everyone already had the story written. They just had to swap the name of the team at the headline of the article and hit send about how irresponsible it is to be playing Major League Baseball right now. So, yeah, you want zero positive tests. You want that for everyone. You want that for your rival. You want that for other conferences that you think are stupid and you hate. You want it for Notre Dame. You want it for everyone. Zero positives is what we all want. Yeah, there's no doubt. The the more negatives, the better. Isn't that interesting how that works? <laughs> now, little seating capacity update. Ohio State's athletic director, Gene Smith, sent a letter to season ticket holders that said they'll cap home crowds at approximately 20,000. They're also planning on banning tailgating. If they can play games this year, masks will be required, limited concessions. And then our friends down in Austin uh, came out and said that they are looking at 25% capacity at DKR as well. So that would put them in the 20,000 range. Teddy, a big part of me thinks that this is kind of the blueprint for major programs. I don't know when Oklahoma or Oklahoma State will come out with something like this, but I'm starting to think that this is going to be the standard for big-time college football. 25% capacity, you can space everyone out, masks required, limit exposure through concessions, through how they do tickets, through how they get people in the stadium – all those things, I think 25% capacity is kind of where these athletic directors are landing. Sounds like a great time, doesn't it? Uh, no tailgating, um, <laughs> limited capacity. At that point, why even come? Limiting, limited concessions. I mean, I, I understand it. I mean, I know why they're, why they're doing it, but, you know, part of me is like, so there's two ways to look at it. One is a lot of people are going to throw their hands up in the air and say, why even bother? You know, it doesn't sound like any fun. We can't hang out. We can't, um, we can't tailgate. You know, a bunch of college football fans don't give a rip about the college, the actual football game. They're there for the party on campus corner and the tailgates. So one way to look at it is everyone's going to throw their hands up and say, I'll just stay home and watch it at home. The other part is – Which is something that they've been battling for the last couple of years. It's I mean, like we talk about – You talk about, especially Oklahoma, but several other big programs. How many times have we heard the phrase fan experience yeah. in the last couple of years? Yeah, it's that's just it. they're, they're fighting a bunch of – You know, everyone's got the, the huge big screen in their house and cheap beer and available bathroom, and they've been fighting that for a while. You know, the other way to look at it is this, you know, what's the one thing that 25% capacity from a stadium that usually holds a hundred thousand tells you, it tells you that there's not going to be a lot of people there. 
and it's worth paying a lot of money for that limited availability to take the selfie in the stadium to say you, I was there. You were so wrong. People do not like to have have the ability to say that they were at exclusive events. That is not something that motivates human beings to spend lavish lavish amounts of money. That that's not a thing, Teddy. Come on, I, man. I mean, I don't know you know, because there's going to be a lot of people that still want to go. I don't know what they're going to do with the the price, like the the actual uh, you know ticket price that's printed on there, the face value. I don't know if that skyrockets because of limited availability. I don't know if now all of a sudden you know they're going to have to donate a ton of money to be able to have available for that twenty or twenty five percent. I mean, I just I don't know how that's going to work. You know, so. I don't know if people are going to be totally turned off by it or the thought of being one of the few that gets in is. The yeah. Driver. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. It, it's going to be funny. They're going to be like socially distanced and then there's going to be a couple big plays and the crowd's going to look like that chain smokers concert in the Hamptons <laughs> a couple of days ago. Just like, wait, that, this is not what we're going for guys. But yeah, we'll see. Right. And I feel like we've said that so many times now about seating capacity, but we shall see. Teddy, one thing we're going to see tonight is NBA basketball that actually means something. It is back, ladies and gentlemen, the first game, the Jazz versus Pelicans. We've got an interview with the color analyst of the New Orleans Pelicans, Antonio Daniels. Obviously, a lot of you Thunder fans remember AD and his role as an analyst for the Thunder. He's still the man, people. He hasn't changed. This interview is awesome. All right, here's Antonio Daniels. It is our pleasure to be joined by a 13-year NBA veteran. He won a championship. He was a phenomenal studio analyst for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then he abandoned us to become the color analyst for the (laughs) New Orleans Pelicans. Antonio Daniels is in the house. AD, what is up, man? It's good to see your face. Hey, hey, what's up, Gabe, brother? It's good to see you as well. I I didn't like the abandoned word. That did not put it in the proper perspective. Okay, and I obviously want to get into the NBA restart with you, but I know that wasn't an easy decision for you. And I know there's a lot of Thunder fans that listen to this podcast and a lot of Thunder fans that, let's go with, miss you dearly (laughs) so what all went into that decision I mean clearly you moved up to color analyst that's that's what you wanted to be doing but right dude I miss you I I miss you so much (laughs) I'll tell you this and I miss Oklahoma City The, the fan that was my first team affiliation job post career you know, I had done radio shows. Um, I had been with Sirius XM NBA Radio, but actually being affiliated with a team, uh, that was my first job. And the love that I still receive today from Oklahoma City Thunder fans, um, I, 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 I loved it down there. Anytime I went down there to visit, just the, uh, it, it's just such a, such a slow but fantastic place that's full of authentic people. And, like, it's, it's weird because this is what I've wanted to do. I wanted to call games. Um, and obviously, they have their, 
their team in place with Michael Cage and Chris Fisher. Um, this is something that I always wanted to do. So when the opportunity came, uh, as much as I love Oklahoma City, as much as I love the fans um, and the interaction with the fans and the love I received from the fans, um, to get down here to New Orleans and get something that uh, I've always wanted to do, this was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And plus, I mean, look at the team that I'm blessed to cover right now. You it's know, perfect I, timing. I, it, it is, and that's a great way of putting it. It's perfect timing right now. You talk about this is the the most excited. It's ever been in New Orleans around basketball. You guys say this thing about football. You know, this is a football city with Drew Brees, and they've won championships, and uh, Sean Payton, and you know, uh, Alvin Kamara, and, and Michael Michael Thomas. All, all, and, I mean, all in the seven other... weeks that Gabe Eichert was a New Orleans Saint. There you go, <laughs> Gabe Eichert. You know what I'm saying? Like, but now it, it's a different feel with in the Zion era, and to to be blessed to call these games down here and interact with these fans similar to the way I interact with the Oklahoma City Thunder fans is it's awesome. Well, I'll tell you, um, I'm admittedly typically not a halftime report guy or pre or post guy, which is strange because Gabe and I do the pregame for Oklahoma football. Um, <laughs> so you think that uh, that would kind of be my You thing. hypocrite. Good Lord, <laughs> Teddy. I know, right? But like I, I do it, but I just don't watch it. A, a lot of times – and you guys know this, you'll, you'll tune in and there's, you don't learn. I like whenever I watch sports, I want to learn something. Like, tell me what has happened. Explain to me what was happened. Don't tell me that someone's got 25 points. I know how many points they have. I'm watching the game. Tell me why. Tell me what's happening out there. And that's what I love about you. That's why I, whenever you're on there, I tune in because if they're not playing well, I know you're going to keep it real. I mean, you will give us the 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 dirty details, and it's. I feel like I'm in a locker room. Listen to one of the veterans on the team talk to guys about this is what we're doing well, this is what we're doing wrong, and effort wise, not good. I mean, just all of those things. I love that. I mean, that's got to be your plan, right? To take that to the the color analyst role. Well, well, for me, I, I always I approach the analyst job in general and I always say I, I would never say something about a player about a coach or about an organization that I wouldn't mind being said about me if I was in that locker room one or that something that their wife or their mother or that their children would get upset about if I said it that's the way I go about my job I, I don't want to to say the obvious you know like, like you just said Teddy like it's any fan with a computer can rattle off a stat. Anybody. I, I want to bring a different perspective to my job. I want to talk about the why, not the obvious, not the what. Well, okay, you know, Russell Westbrook has 25 points. You know, how did he get those 25 points? What was he doing to get to that point? Oklahoma City is down 13 points. What happened? Like we all know they're down 13 points, but why are they down 13 points? So for me, I try and focus, focus more on the why as opposed to the obvious what that we all see playing out before us. And sometimes that involves speaking truth. So you mentioned kind of diagnosing the game, analyzing the game. The NBA you played in is a little bit different than what basketball is. Now, how have you kind of kept up on, for lack of a better term, your basketball education with how the game has evolved so that 
when you were saying things because you know players hear the things you say, right? Mm -hmm. We all know For that. Sure. So you, you want to be coming from an educated perspective, understanding the new nuances of the game. How do you keep up on that stuff? Um, well, Sirius XM, you know, the radio show I have every day helps. That helps a lot. But the game has evolved, and you are 100% correct. The way that the game is playing out before us today is completely different than the NBA that I was a part of. You know, this is a pace and space um, game that is driven by analytics. That's not how we played. You know, we won the championship in 99. You know, you look at the stat line all the way through in the final box score, we didn't score over 100 one time. You know, uh, it, it's a different game. Now it's all about threes, layups, dunks, and free throws. You know, and just as much as the game has evolved, me as an analyst and my thought process and my basketball mind and mentality and knowledge of the sport, I have to evolve along with it. I can't be that guy that's, well, you know, man, man, back when I played, back when, don't nobody want to hear all that. Because that's not where we are today. This is not uh, 1997. This is not uh, 2005. This is 2020. Players are more skilled today than they've ever been in this league. And I have argued with so many different guys that played in my era about this. Guys weren't doing then what guys are doing today. You didn't have guys that were seven foot like Kevin Durant doing what he's doing. You didn't have guys like Steph Curry with the ability to shoot from distance with accuracy like that. You didn't have guys like James Harden that is so good offensively. You didn't have all this stuff. So I have to, to constantly keep my brain engaged in these games. Well, I watch probably more basketball than most players that are playing in the NBA today. And they actually have to play against these guys. So when I'm going to these games, I'm not going into these games uh, not knowing what to expect. I have my own scouting report. I take my own notes. Um, I do my homework because when I am talking and analyzing these games, um, knowledge is key. Knowledge is important and not the obvious. Yeah. Well, you know, you say the game's evolved. Sometimes I feel like it's devolved. And I feel the same thing about football because, um, you know, you played in the era of basketball where – defense was critical it was preached uh, physicality toughness all those things and it's the same thing with me in football and I agree with you 100% that you know you can't sit here and say you know oh well they don't play defense like they do and I, I mean I get that and I try to do the same thing <laughs> but you know there is a frustration with me and I think more than anything it's driven by the way they officiate the games right football different NBA's yes. officiated differently. Yes. Um, so a couple of things. Number one, it has changed. Do you enjoy the change? Do you like the throwback? And the second point is, you know, and I, I agree a thousand percent that it, it's always hard to compare the guys now to the guys from before. And everyone's way more skilled. It's the same thing in all sports. And the reason capitalism's a hell of a thing when guys are making $40 million a year, everyone says, you know what? Instead of vacationing all off season, I'm going I'm to pay somebody to come train me. Exactly right. And it's a year long deal. But um, so I agree with that point, but do you like the change in the game? I mean, is it enjoyable oh, to you? Man, um, It's enjoyable from an entertainment aspect. 
and I know in both sports, speaking from the it's NFL the fantasy and the NBA, era, right? Stats. Right. That's what they want. They don't want games where uh, in the NBA where the final score is 86 to 85. They don't want games in football where the final score is, is seven to three. They don't want that because um, to fans, that's not exciting. That's not entertaining. They want the 120 to 130. And in football, they want 40, 42 to 35. They want to see offense. Um, so I, I enjoy the entertainment aspect of it. And the fact that guys are more skilled now, they're getting the opportunity to display those skills. I am, I am all on board for that. I think there needs to be a happy medium to allow physicality without going overboard, obviously. You don't want guys getting hurt because these guys are investments and you want to protect your investment and guys want to protect themselves. My biggest frustration lies where yours is. And a lot of times now with the way the game is being officiated in both sports, in football and also in basketball, you know, when guys are tied up in the jump ball and somebody falls and they go to the replay booth, you know, like for, for what? Like, let, let, let's hoop. You know what I mean? Let's play. Like, th these are grown men. They are you okay. You reward good defense just like you reward good offense. Right. And in today's NBA, it is literally impossible to stop. It, it, is, it is when you have guys that can handle the ball, that can shoot from distance with accuracy, and that can create space and get to the rim and finish, it is impossible to guard these guys. Impossible. The Steph Currys, the Damian Lillards, the James Hardens, the Kevin Durants, these guys are literally impossible to guard in today's NBA because you are not allowed to use your strength to put your hands on them. So these guys get to display their skills because there's nothing that you can do to obstruct them from getting to where they want to go. And guys are too skilled. They are too skilled to watch these guys do the things that they do today and be blessed to sit and watch this courtside. Sometimes I am like, I am... I'm blown away. I am blown away by Damian Lillard um, and Steph Curry shooting from 40 feet like they're shooting free throws. Like, that, that's not normal. But it's also <laughs> not – it's unguardable. It's starting to be normal, which is what's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I find myself in between. I don't want to go back to the 80s where guys are um, – the, the rivalries existed to a point where you didn't mind hurting someone or really laying someone down. But I do like the happy medium of playoff fouls, being able to engage in some sort of physical contact and allowing the defense to try and somewhat defend. Now, AD, I, I do want to talk about the NBA restart. And I just want to get your thoughts. As a guy that played for so long, that was such a respected player, when you heard what the NBA was going to do with this bubble in Orlando, just what was your initial reaction, man? Wow. My, my initial reaction, honestly, was I have no idea how they're going to pull this off. Because it sounds great. But when you first heard about this, um, in essence, of two months ago, I'm thinking, gosh, it's a lot of hoops to jump through to even get back to the restart. So you can talk about it. But you understand, like, I'm thinking this obviously two, two and a half months ago. You got to test guys every day. You got to test guys daily. You got to keep guys quarantined for two plus. Think about this. America had a problem being quarantined in their own homes. But yet we want players to go and be quarantined 
for two to three months. We had people marching on state capitals with assault rifles because <laughs> they wanted to go get a haircut. But yet we are telling NBA basketball players to go somewhere and stay for two to three months. How is, it, how, how is this going to work? What is it going to look like when you have LeBron James playing Giannis Antetokounmpo or Zion Williamson playing John Morant in a completely empty gym? Is it going to look like a 9 o'clock in the morning AAU basketball game where all you do is hear the ball, the squeaking of the shoes, and, you know, guys talking to each other, and that's it? Like, I had no idea how they can pull this off, how they could pull this off. But I tell you this. I could not be more impressed with the finished product. Adam Silver and the brain trust of the NBA, they got this right. And if America as a whole would follow the blueprint of the bubble, whether it's the NBA bubble, the WNBA bubble, the Major League Soccer bubble, or the NHL bubble, we can flatten this curve. Because to have two different tests where you're testing 300 and 40 plus guys and to have zero positive tests inside the bubble, that means you're doing something right. Yeah. Um, you know, just the uh, talking about how skilled these players are right now and the just some of the, the athleticism. I mean, you mentioned Giannis and LeBron James, but there's a cat you're going to be covering, Zion, which, you know, I was just thinking about it. He just turned 20. Right. This month just turned 20. And I got to tell you, I've, I've, ne I've seen a lot of guys that can jump, but I've never seen anyone that looks like they could be a defensive tackle in the NFL and jump like he can. It's unbelievable. And it is. I mean, I, I guess guys like this are, are starting to be more common, just like guys that we've never, like, we've never seen anyone like Giannis. We've never seen anyone like Kevin Durant. We've never seen anyone like LeBron. Well, there's like 20 guys we've never seen anyone like right now in the NBA, but just like the skill set, the athleticism. I mean, I know he's young. I know he's raw. Um, you know, there was talks about how much he was, you know, really focused on it. And boy, I'll tell you what, I wasn't sure what he was going to look like coming out of the quarantine, but dude, whoa, he <laughs> looks fantastic. I mean, is, is he, does he have a chance to be as polished as those other guys are handling yes. the ball, the jump shot? Yes. Uh, and here's the thing. Now, obviously, and you guys know this, when you get to that next level of professional sports, th this is your livelihood now. You don't have a job. You know, you, you, you don't have a job. This is your job now. When you're in college, you have other obligations. You have study hall. You know, you got class. You got all these other kind of things. Now, your job is to get better. And with Zion, first and foremost, he is a fantastic kid. He is a great kid, incredibly humble and full of faith. And I love that. I noticed that from day one of training camp. But I also noticed this dude is one of one in NBA history. I have never in my time playing and in my time covering the league has seen someone like this. And by like this, I mean the size, the strength, the athleticism, the agility, the explosiveness, the soft touch around the rim, and being left-handed. And the second jump. Like, if you watch him, every time we play, um, a lot of times I'll talk to the opposing broadcasting, and I tell them all the time, like, you are going to be blown away by his athleticism, you know, how quick he gets off the ground, you know, his quick twitch muscles. He shoots it, and he knows where it's going, and he's off the ground dunking it back in before everybody else even turns around. 
And I always tell them that before the game. And as soon as the game over, they come to the table and they said, you know what? You were right. He is, he is special. And like you said, he's only just turned 20 years old. So when he adds the other pieces to his game, the, the jump shot, you know, um, the experience. Because understand, we are talking about a young man that's only played in 19 basketball games. So he is literally just scratching the surface. But I was at every practice this season before the postponing. I was at every training camp, at every shoot around. And to watch this young man grow. And to watch this young man perform, he, he is a man-child at 20 years old. The NBA is in really, really good hands. Do you think he's the sole reason that there's 22 teams there instead of 16, AD? <laughs> the sole reason? No. Do I think he was a part of it? Yeah. But the thing is, like, more than any professional sport, there's no professional sport that is more star-driven than the NBA is because one player changes the overall trajectory of your team. Think of LeBron. When he left Cleveland, they nosed out. They, they straight declined. Goes to Miami, wins a couple championships. He comes back. They win a championship. He leaves. They go back down again. Like one player can change the trajectory of your organization. Why do you think the Milwaukee Bucks are so concerned with Giannis Antetokounmpo becoming a free agent here soon. Because they understand if he walks out that door, the Milwaukee Bucks are heading in the other direction. And the New Orleans Pelicans really made out. Because when a guy that has ERA after his name and his career ends, usually it's not a good thing for that organization. So the Anthony Davis era ended. But the Zion Williamson era began. And that's very rare that you have that guy where the era's over. Like, the Kobe Bryant era ended, and the Los Angeles Lakers have not been in the playoffs since. You know, when you have a guy that is good enough and impactful enough to have era after his name, that's why I have so much respect for Billy Donovan and what the Oklahoma City Thunder have done this year. Because they literally, they literally lost a Russell Westbrook era, the face of that organization, he had that city on his back once Kevin Durant left a short Paul George era, and the most athletic guy on that team in Jeremy Grant. And this team today is in fifth place. They are sitting in fifth place right now, what, two and a half games out of third. I am so impressed with the Oklahoma City Thunder and the job that Billy Donovan has done. Like, but I said all year, I did say all year, when on SiriusXM that I thought OKC, if they did not trade Chris Paul and did not trade Danilo Gallinari or Steven Adams, they would 100% be a playoff team. Which is strange. Maybe we're in the Donovan era now because I don't know who else. I mean, really it is right now. There's a bunch of different guys. But it's interesting that you bring that up because I was, I was going to ask you about Zion, like what his, what his ceiling is. Because, you know, we, we saw the – we saw Michael Jordan – going up against a, an incredibly young Kobe Bryant, right? Mm -hmm. We saw, um, you know, Kobe, LeBron, how, however you think that next one went. And then there's a chance that we see LeBron and, and Zion. Is he, does he have a chance? And I know there's a bunch of really good players in this league, right. but does he have a chance to where we're going to be looking back, uh, you know, a long time and, and say, remember whenever in the bubble yes. when LeBron and Zion met yes. 
Well, you know, for me, I, I think, um, and we talked about this on the show a couple of days ago, the, the, the process of watching guys come into this league as young men and leave as um, grown, adult, battle-tested, experienced superstars is amazing. Like to watch LeBron today with gray in his beard. Think of the LeBron that played, was it 15 years ago? No, 17 years ago. The LeBron that played 17 years ago, the first game in Sacramento. And think of at that time, the amount of pressure that he was under. Like, oh, this guy's supposed to be the next Michael Jordan. And I remember thinking to myself, because I'm from Ohio. I remember thinking to myself, there's no way possible that this young man right here in 2003 can live up to this hype. And he has surpassed it. But just to watch the process of guys coming into this league young, inexperienced, naive, and just playing, and then growing into what we see today out of LeBron. So you look at guys today that you can call by one name, and you know exactly who they're talking about. Ja, Luca, Giannis, Zion, Trey. The NBA is in really good hands moving forward because we saw all these guys come in young, inexperienced, um, basically boys by NBA standards. Young men are boys by NBA standards. So to watch the process and watch these guys grow together, you know, and I've heard LeBron say it numerous times, and I cannot agree with him more. The NBA is in fantastic hands moving forward as far as star power is concerned. And one guy that you could maybe add to that list, AD, is Shea, right? Shea Gilgis-Alexander, I think, has the potential to be an absolute star. Well, what have you seen from him, and how do you think that Chris Paul has influenced oh, him? Man. Well, you know, um, the other day we had to talk about our most improved player. And what I've always been told is you can't have a second-year player on your most improved player list. Yeah, 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 whatever. He was on my list. He was third on my list. So I had Brandon Ingram first. I had uh, Homer. Bam Adebayo second. And I had Shea Gilgis-Alexander third. Um, I, I, that young man can go. He can go. And this league is about um, veterans paying it forward to guys like Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And I, I played with Chris Paul here in New Orleans. And He's one of the best leaders I've ever seen. And, you know, when you go and you look at uh, the time that he had with the Clippers, no, well, you know what? He didn't get along with Blake Griffin or he didn't get along with DeAndre Jordan. Then he went to Houston. Oh, uh, well, he didn't get along with James Harden. And then he comes here and he's the ultimate leader. Here's the thing about Chris Paul. He will always hold you accountable. A lot of stars aren't accustomed to that. A lot of stars aren't used to that. A lot of stars won't take well to that. If you're not doing your job on the floor, Chris Paul will let you know you're not doing your job on the floor. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander couldn't have landed in a better position because it's not just Chris Paul. It's now he's being coached by Billy Donovan. I would never, ever disrespect Russell Westbrook, Paul George, or Jeremy Grant, but I used to go back and forth with Oklahoma City Thunder fans constantly about this. That constantly will, you know, when, when a team does well, they praise the players. When a team struggles, they criticize the coach. And I've said from day one, Billy Donovan is a fantastic coach. You don't win back-to-back NCAA championships by accident. But now, since he's come to Oklahoma City, 
every year that he has coached there, one of his stars was a free agent. Do you know how that changes the, the, the dynamic of the way that you coach? Whether it's Kevin Durant and then Russell Westbrook and then Paul George, it changes your dynamic. Now, this year, he gets an opportunity to relax and just coach. He doesn't have to worry about um, Chris Paul leaving at the end of the year due to free agency or Steven Adams leaving at the end of the year due to free agency. So he can just sit back and coach the way that he's accustomed to coaching. And this is the first time, I think, since he's been in Oklahoma City that he's had an opportunity to do that. You think the bubble – I mean, I, I, I love hearing you talk about Chris Paul, a great leader. And I think that's why this team has, has done so well. So many young guys from so many different places. You, you know, you've got a great coach, but you've got Chris Paul, that veteran leadership there that brings it all together and holds everyone accountable. Now, you go to a bubble – and you guys know you've been in, in locker rooms. Some teams are looser than others. Some teams, you know, they're Some teams out. get along. Yeah, it, you know, teams get along. Others don't. Some have guys that are on the road. They're out partying. You know, there's a bunch of distractions. So teams with good leadership, you know, in a typical situation, it helps them. But now you go into a bubble and you eliminate a lot of those problems for teams so some of those squads that maybe have, I don't know how you say, a loose cannon or two, does this benefit them? Or, you know, I, I just, I wonder what the dynamic does if it changes anything. You know, for, for me, it's difficult to imagine because um, I played on teams that are very close-knit, very close-knit, and that got along really well on the floor and off the floor. I've also played on teams that, weren't as close, and the moment you stepped off that floor, everybody went their separate ways. So I can't, like, I can imagine being in a bubble with that team that's really close-knit because you guys are going to spend a lot of time together. Like you said, there are no distractions. You guys are, are eating together or fishing together or playing cards together, pool, ping pong, whatever, together. I can't imagine what would it be like to be in a bubble with a team that's not close-knit. This changes the dynamic for everything. Leadership is important. But when you step off that floor, if guys are going their separate ways, that's a different dynamic, especially with this, within the, within the bubble. You know, if it's outside the bubble, it's different. Because like you said, some guys are going out. Some guys are married. They're going home, you know, to their children, to their wives, whatever it may be. Some guys just aren't into the party life, whatever it may be. Go on, do your thing. When we come back together, it's cool. But we're, when we're all in the same place, when we're all together, like imagine being in a hotel for two months. I, I, that would be very, very difficult to do if I am playing on a team where we are not a close-knit bunch. Now, AD, this is something that Teddy and I have talked about. And it, it comes down to the level of play we're going to see when these seeding games start mm -hmm. and when the playoffs actually start. And as a guy that played for a long, long time and has been to the playoffs many times and won a championship, is, is it possible that we could see some of the highest level playoff basketball because these guys had such a long period off and they're fresh. I know they'll be rusty, but you know, you know how they always talk about, well, that guy's legs just gave out, gave out on him 
when the playoffs came around, he just didn't have the juice. Do you think there's anything to these guys being fresher coming into this? Gabe, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I have no idea what to expect. I, like, th- this, is, this is the thing. Like, we are all so far out of our comfort zone here. Like, I have no idea what to expect. I don't know if guys are going to be – have fresher legs or if guys are going to return and be rusty because this is a four-month hiatus we're talking about. We've never seen anything like this. This is a four-month hiatus that happened 65, 66 games into the season. And it's not a hiatus like a lockout because when we locked out in 1999, we could still play. We used to get together as a team and still hoop or you go play with college guys or you get together and play, um, get 15 guys together in the gym and you hoop. This is different because when this hiatus happened, the country, the world shut down. So guys did not have access to things that they regularly have access to. I remember about a month into the quarantine, a month and a half into the quarantine, Giannis Antetokounmpo said he hadn't touched the ball. Chris Middleton said he hadn't touched the ball. You know, um, you don't know what guys had access to as far as keeping their bodies in shape and in condition. Did they have treadmills at their houses? Do they have battle ropes? Do they have kettlebells? Do they have weights? Do they have um, all these different things that they're accustomed to having and don't have? I just don't. Now I have no idea what to expect. I will tell you this, though. I will tell you this, fellas. I give more credit to this champion, whoever this champion is. I give more credit to this champion than any champion in the history of the NBA. I feel like if I was uh, still in the NFL and we were going through the same thing, I feel like I'd spend all of my time on social media telling everyone how I'm just kind of laying around getting fat and not working out. (laughs) But then whenever like, but I'm actually like an animal, like focused, just trying to lull everyone to sleep, make everyone think, well, he's not working out. Maybe I shouldn't. But you know, something that I think is interesting, no fans, you know, I don't know football wise. I think it's definitely a factor. We had, we had Joe Thomas on here is one of the best offensive tackles in NFL history. Mm-hmm. And I asked him about it and he's like, as a, you know, I would love it because, you know, on a third down, a defensive end is all amped up. He's jacked up out of his mind. He's getting the crowd into it. They're trying to get a third down stop and he's going to fire off the football like he never has before, you know, with there's no fans there, you know, that, that energy is not the same. And I right. wonder what it's going to be like in the NBA. You know, in a, in a playoff game, you get a stop defensively, you know, under two minutes, the crowd goes insane. You have guys that hit, you know, a couple of threes on three or four consecutive trips down the, down the, the court. The crowd's just lit up. You got to call a timeout. You got to calm things down. I mean, how much is that going to change games? Well, you know, the NBA has done a great job of, like, you can't tell. If you did not know and somebody dropped you in from space and you were watching the NBA game today, there's no way you would think that you are watching the NBA basketball with no fans there. They've done a fantastic job of making it like the overall entertainment product is right on point for the viewer. Now, to be down there and be involved in that, that's different, but Basketball, I think more than any other sport, you are, I won't say you're used to that, 
because from the moment you've been playing in the NBA, you've been playing in front of 20,000 people. But you grew up on the AAU circuit. A lot of these guys grew up on the AAU circuit. The AAU circuit, a lot of times, it's not, it's not a packed house. It's not a packed house. You know, you have the only people that have AAU games at 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning is your parents. You know what I mean? So sometimes guys are accustomed to this. But one of the talks that I've heard the Pelicans talk about and numerous other teams talk about is just as much as you have to be mentally strong, I mean, physically strong and ready, you have to be mentally strong and ready as well. Because this is different. And this is, your bench is incredibly important, more than any other time in the year. And I'm not talking about as far as depth, I'm talking about as far as energy. Because that energy that you need to have is going to have to come from that bench. Because like you said, like you said, Teddy, there ain't no crowds going crazy. They're going to have virtual fans. They're going to have the, the screen and the board up that with fans on it. But you are going to have to find it within yourself to, to bring your own energy. And that's not easy to do. That's not easy to do. But I think that if there's any sport that can do it because of the AAU circuit, and also every day in practice, guys are going at each other extremely hard, and there's nobody in the stands there. Mm-hmm. There's nobody in the stands at practice besides media, you know, and what they can consider essential media, just to watch, you know? So it's not like it's something that guys can't do. Now, AD, earlier you mentioned that you would have Ingram for most improved, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I know the NBA awards, obviously a little different this year. The seeding games aren't going to count. Sounds like they're going to announce them during the playoffs. Who do you have as your MVP, your defensive player of the year, your coach of the year, and then your sixth man of the year? Ooh, okay. Um, let's go in order here. My MVP. Well, first, tell me who you guys have. I'm going Giannis MVP. I just – I know that a lot of people were are trying to make a case for LeBron, and I get it, but Giannis has just been dominant, man. And it, okay. it, it's been a while since we watched him dominate because it's been months, but you just got to remember – he got kind of lucky, though, with the break because he's going to miss some time with that knee. Right, right. Teddy? I mean, I, I'm not a LeBron James fan. Um, I wasn't happy when he went to the Lakers. I, I guess I'm, you know, I'm kind of a hater. I really don't have a reason why I don't like him. <laughs> I just kind of try and create one all the time. But if I have to choose <laughs> one, like, I'm not picking – the future and how good he's going to be for the next 10 years. For sure. We're talking about this year, this 66, 67 games. If I got to, if I can pick one person to go into the bubble to try and win a championship, I'm taking the question though. I know it's not, I know it's not not the question. That's true. From before it's the ended in March, right? What March 11th is whenever we're supposed to, I still got to take LeBron. Not a chance. I think I'm taking Giannis. Here's the thing. LeBron James is the best player on the planet. LeBron James is by far oh, he is the best the player on the planet. For me then. No, 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 no. LeBron James is the best player on the planet, but Giannis is this year's MVP. And there's a difference in the two. You can be the best player on the planet without being the MVP. You can be the, the best coach in the world without being coach of the year. You know, Michael Jordan was the best player on the planet and didn't win MVP. Greg Popovich was the best coach in the world, but didn't win coach of the year. LeBron James is the best player on the planet, but MVP is Giannis. And the reason I say that is because if we look at these 66, 67 games, whatever Milwaukee played, 
first, they have the best record in the league. That, that counts for something. They're the best record in the league. Not the best record in the East, but the best record in the league. Every number, statistically speaking, is pointing to Giannis outside of the assist. So points, rebounds, blocks, field goal percentage, either one of these guys are good three-point shooters or either one of these guys are good free-throw shooters, defensive efficiency, offensive efficiency, PER, all of these different numbers, whether normal or advanced numbers, are pointing in Giannis's direction. And for LeBron, again, I think he's the best player on the planet, but it can't be a narrative MVP. And the narrative now is he's doing what he's doing at his age. And that's fantastic. I agree with that wholeheartedly. At 35 years old, to see the things that LeBron James is doing on the floor is fantastic. But Giannis has done nothing whatsoever, nothing whatsoever to acquiesce that MVP to LeBron James. Nothing. Well, good, now, because I don't like LeBron James, so I can, <laughs> I can jump on board with that. I'm happy you talked me into it. Now, AD, no one cares about who the football guys think should get the awards. So who, who do you have for defensive player of the year? It may be Giannis. Also, you can't give it to Gobert, yeah. man. He shut down the league. You just can't give it to no, him. I, you know, the defensive player of the year, that's always, that's always a little bit different to me. Like, it's just – I mean, if I had, if I had to do it, because, you know, this team is, is well, I believe, first in defensive efficiency, and Giannis is the center of that, I would give it to Giannis. You know, um, but I, I, I'm not real big on defensive player of the year. There are a number of guys that are excellent defensively. There are, like right now, the MVP is a two-man race. It's a two-man race. Defensive player of the year, there's so many different directions that you can go because, again, because of the evolution of the league, because of defensive versatility. So, you know, Kawhi Leonard is a lockdown individual defender a lockdown individual defender. So you have him. You have Anthony Davis that you can look at. You have um, Rudy Gobert. You know, you have Giannis Antetokounmpo. So it's – defensive player of the year for me is always one of the toughest ones to, to give out unless there's somebody that just really, really stands out. Who do you have do – you, do you think Billy Donovan's got a chance for coach of the year? Yes, I do. And actually, I have Billy Donovan second on my list. Adam second. And Taylor Jenkins first. Yeah, Memphis, pretty good turnaround. Yeah, because, you know, the thing is, Memphis, there are so many experts that had Memphis coming in last in the Western Conference. And think of – because when I think of Coach of the Year, what I look at is addition, subtraction. What did they gain and what did they lose? So if you look at Billy Donovan, they lost Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Jeremy Grant. That's pretty significant. They got a Shea Gilders Alexander that was averaging 11 points per game. They got a Chris Paul who people said was injured and couldn't, couldn't lead. He was they got washed, Danilo, Antonio. Right. He was washed. Exactly. Right. They got a Danilo Gallinari who was always injured, so you never knew what he was going to get. And look where they sit today. Billy Donovan deserves a ton of credit for that. But Taylor Jenkins, all they got, all that Memphis got was two rookies. They got John Morant and Brandon Clark. And John Morant's skill set has inspired confidence in that entire team. To go from what so many people thought would be one of the worst teams in the league to right now, today, sitting in the playoffs, 
is incredibly impressive. All right, we'll finish with the uh, the cliche question. We just got to ask, you know, who do you got going to the NBA Finals? I know the bubble's a weird setup, but it, it I, seems I had like this when the year started. I and before we before we move on really fast, I had Dennis Schroeder as my sixth man of the year. Yes, that a boy I I, over Harold. I haven't. Yes, over Montrez Harold, and we had this discussion two days ago on on a radio show. My co-host had Montrez Harold. I had Dennis Schroeder. Um. He's been fantastic. He's been fantastic all year long. Great situation for him. Um, he's that guy that they can go to to finish games along with Chris Paul, along with Danilo Gallinari, Shea Gildress Alexander. Like, yeah, to me, he deserves to be sixth man of the year. Montrezl Harrell was second and Lou Williams was third on my list. But how, to go back to your original question. How I bad do you, the, how big of a shot to Lou Williams sixth man of the year candidacy was the whole Magic City situation? None. Those wings look legit. I, I saw a picture of them. I get it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to keep quiet on this one. <laughs> I know you're I'm a family plead, man. I, I, I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm going to plead the fifth. <laughs> but Lou's a, Lou's a great dude, man. Lou's a fantastic guy. He, he really is. Um, regardless of the reason that he went, perception is everything. You know, you have to understand how it looks. Um, because I honestly can believe that Lou Williams just went for wings. But regardless, if you just went for wings, you have to understand how that looks to everyone else. Because everyone else in that bubble is away from their family as well. You have to understand the amount of responsibility that comes along with what the NBA is doing right now. They are a part of history. And you think about it of the what ifs. And I don't like playing the what if game, but what if, Lou Williams, I have to understand that one person can shut down the entire league. We saw that in March. We saw that in March of Rudy Gobert. So guys just have to be cognizant and responsible with the blessing that they've been given to have an opportunity to play again. Well, let me ask you, you know, as a, a leader in the locker room yourself, a guy that, you know, wouldn't have a problem calling something out that you saw that was uh, not good for the team. If you were on that, how would you react the next, next time you saw him in the locker room or saw him in the hallway? How would you, how would you react as a team leader? Well, the one thing I wouldn't do, I wouldn't react publicly. Right. You know, that's a, that's a conversation I would just have with him, you know, and actually I would probably have the conversation while he's in quarantine. Cause obviously he's in quarantine for 10 days now, but I would call him, I would talk to him about it and tell him how that looks. You know, because the thing is, like, I played with Lou in Philly. That's how I know he's a great dude. He's a fantastic guy. But you have to understand perception with social media, with everything that's going on with the bubble right now. You know, the NBA and the NBPA have worked tirelessly and have sacrificed so much to, for this product to work. And it's working right now. So you have to understand that. And, you know, I, I, again, I know this quarantine is not easy. I know it's not easy. You, you go back to... In March and April, America couldn't stay home. You are not more comfortable anywhere in this world than you are at home. And Americans couldn't stay at home. So I know it's not an easy thing to do, but if winning is the ultimate goal, there's some things we got to sacrifice to win games. That's all. Okay, and I'm not letting you leave. Team coming out of the West, team coming out of the East, give it to me, AD. Mine hasn't changed all year long. We had to fill all this stuff out for SiriusXM before the year started. 
I have Milwaukee out the east and the Clippers out the west, and I'm not changing. Oh, Teddy, he's on the Clippers train with you. I love it, man. I'm, I'm down. I like it. I think they've just been cruising along, waiting for this moment. All and healthy. Now, and now, if you look at the d- dynamics of everything, all year they've said, well, you know what? We ain't tripping on on home court. You know, we'd rather be healthy coming into the playoffs. Now home court doesn't matter. It's a neutral court. So the Los Angeles Lakers, at one point, they had an advantage because if they were to meet the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals, they would have had, quote, unquote, since they're both in L.A. and playing uh, in the Staples Center, home court advantage. But now there is no home court advantage anymore. So Doc Rivers has preached all year about being healthy. And the Clippers, in today's NBA, the Clippers have that dynamic down. They have a number of guys that they can put on the floor in between six foot four, six foot five, and six foot nine. Extremely versatile. You know, um, with uh, Montrezl Harrell at the five, and uh, you can go in so many different ways. You can go Kawhi Leonard at the four, Paul George at the three, um, Landry Shamit at the two, you know, Patrick Beverly at the one, or Morris. You know, th- there's so many different ways that they can go as far as versatility is concerned. Or they can play Zubac at the five, and then they can play big ball. So um, You got, never got to worry about matchups down the, down the floor, man. They match up right. with anyone all those guys can. What, Kawhi's, Kawhi's a different dude. Does being in the bubble, is that something? Because I think some guys are – it's going to be much more difficult on some guys than it is others. Is think Kawhi's a guy that uh, reacts differently in the bubble? You think this is kind of his, his speed? or? You know, I, I think um, this bubble uh, for certain guys, like LeBron and Kawhi, guys that are experienced and that are battle-tested, I, I, like, I, I don't think this is – a big deal to them. Mm-hmm. Not the quarantine part, but I'm talking about on the floor. They've been in every possible basketball situation. You think about LeBron James. He came back from down 3-1 on the road and won game seven on the road. Kawhi Leonard being on the road to, to win tough games. You know, so now being in a situation like this, after all that they've experienced, I don't think this will be a big deal to those guys. I think the younger teams, it's going to be a little bit tougher because they feed off the energy of their crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, AD, really appreciate the time, man. Go follow Antonio on Twitter at ADaniels33. You can catch him on SiriusXM NBA Radio. And if you just happen to catch one of the New Orleans broadcasts during the bubble, (laughs) hopefully they make – I want them to make the playoffs, man. I want that Lakers-Pelicans matchup in the first round. Just I want to hear you on the call, bud. Well, there's so many underlining storylines. If these two teams were to meet as opposed to Portland or as opposed to Memphis or as opposed to San Antonio or Sacramento, the obviously the Anthony Davis deal, him leaving New Orleans to go to L.A., Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart coming over, you know, Zion versus LeBron. So it, it would be nice. It would be nice to say the least. I hear you. I hear you. Well, appreciate the time, big guy. Thanks. For sure, fellas. Anytime. Y'all be blessed, man. What an awesome guy. I I mean, Antonio Daniels, I I miss him so much, Teddy. I wish he was still here in Oklahoma City. I miss him so much. That's my type of guy, man. I I wish every – like player in every sport was like that. I mean, just I know what kind of guy he is in the locker room and motivating, but at the same time calls it how it is. I love that. He's he's so much fun, man. I I can't – 
be the only Thunder fan that misses him dearly. Uh, well, he, you know, I wasn't going to say anything, but uh, there was a very large percentage of the Thunder fan base that would maybe prefer that he was the color guy, but I'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. But yeah, I think that percentage is 100% of Thunder fans, <laughs> if we're being honest. Uh, nothing against Michael Cage. Uh, I like Michael Cage, but. You know, the Thunder like their broadcast pretty homerish, and Antonio has a problem of calling it, not a problem. I love it, but he calls it how it is, man. And I don't know if that really fits. Our man AD speaks the truth. There's no doubt. All right, Ted, it is Thursday. So. You know, we got to wet the beak just a little bit, just a bit, little bit, and we're going to look at some NBA spreads. So let's look at opening night, reopening night. What are we calling tonight? Reopening night, bubble night? I, bubble night. I like that. Pop the bubble. I don't I know. It. Something stupid. All right. Well, we get Clippers, Lakers, which is sweet. Now, currently, the Lakers are a four point favorite, clearly. You're going to have a healthy Paul George, healthy Kawhi. Those guys are both ready to go. No Lou Williams for hilarious reasons, of course. No Montrez Harrell either. Remember, he left the bubble for a, a family situation. The one interesting part about this thing is mixed reports about Anthony Davis. He's dealing with that eye issue. You got poked in the eye the other day in that scrimmage. But sounds like he'll play. And should I – should I think that LeBron's gray hair in his beard is going to affect his level of play? I think it may just elevate him, Ted. I, I, I like the Lakers in this one. I, I'm picking the Lakers, four-point favorite. Give me the Lakers, and I, I really do hate that pick, but I just think LeBron is going to will them to victory with the gray beard. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing about LeBron that may be the most annoying thing ever is that – he loves to put on a show and knowing that everyone's going to be watching the reopening that he's going to be playing like this is game seven of the NBA championship. And not that everyone else out there isn't going to be given that full effort, but um, he's going to be doing everything in his power to win the game. I'll take the Lakers to win, but I'll take the Clippers to cover the four. Tight, Ooh. tight basketball game. And I'm anxious to see what the end of the game is like. Whenever, you know, we talked about it some with Antonio. I, I just, I, I don't know. Like the energy, like the yeah. jitters. Like, yeah, that th those late game scenarios. And it's only going to get weirder when the actual playoffs start, right? I know. I, so I just, and this game is going to be really close. It's going to be defended really tight. I mean, I mean, you know how it goes, Gabe. Like in a in a home playoff type environment, the officials are affected too, and they're more likely to let something slip whenever the the home team's playing defense, and maybe not call a foul whenever they get a turnover on something late. And I just I wonder, we just don't know how any of that stuff's going to play. I think it's going to be a tight game. Give me the Clippers. Yeah, we've got no idea. I I can't believe you don't want to take the Lakers who have prominent contributors, Deion Waiters, and J.R. Smith now. I mean, what, what's wrong with you? Come on, man. You can't I, bet against Waiters Island. What are you doing? I said, like, right whenever LeBron went to L.A. and the first year was, you know, he's over there drinking red wine and everything. 
whenever it came out that the Lakers were the favorite for the next year's championship, I said that it, there's no way the Lakers are going to win the championship. If the Lakers win the championship, I'll eat my shoe. And, you know, then they get everyone to go sign for the Lakers. And I'm just – I'm pulling against them, Gabe. That's all I can say. Oh, so you've got a shoe-eating bet on the line still? Yeah, and I was thinking about making a – like a T-bone steak, putting – you know the little thing on flip-flops that you push through and it's got the – I wonder if I could turn a, a T-bone into a flip-flop and eat my shoe that way. I don't know if, if that counts or if not. If there's any restaurant people out there listening <laughs> to this, let us know if you can turn a steak – into a steak shoe combo let us know uh you can hit us up on twitter at gabe eichard at ted layman 11 yeah we're gonna need to know if you can do that all right ted now the thunder get the jazz on saturday the thunder are currently a one point favorite it is a revenge game although the jazz get a seeding game on opening night against the Pelicans to kind of tune up. I don't know if that's an advantage or disadvantage. I I haven't really decided how I feel about that. But there are some reports that things still aren't the best between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. And I think the Thunder were only one of two teams that won every scrimmage. And I know they were scrimmages. I know they meant nothing. But we did see some really good things from guys like Darius Baisley, we saw Dort shoot the three well. We saw the return of Andre Robertson. Steven Adams is looking phenomenal. Shea Gilgis-Alexander has improved his game in the time off. And then Chris Paul, you just hope that he keeps up the level of play that he left off with when the season got shut down. I can't imagine that after – the shit Rudy Gobert pulled in Oklahoma City. I can't imagine the Thunder don't win this game. Give me the Thunder. I will take the one-point favorite. Do you think Steven Adams shows up to the game wearing a hazmat suit to guard Rudy Gobert? He should because that would be an epic troll job. That's the one thing I wonder is like, I know that there's been multiple guys that have it and – have tested positive and had to quarantine and all that. But there's still a weird feeling around Rudy Gobert, isn't there? Like, you Is it because he's French? Maybe that's it. I don't think that's it. I, I, I think don't that's, know. Is that nationalist? Did I just – I think it – I don't know what I just did there. No, that's – you. Everyone hates the French. It's fine. Okay, okay, cool. It's not just American. Although I really enjoyed Paris. Everyone was like, hey, you're going to hate Paris. I loved it. It was awesome. As long as you avoid the riots and all of that stuff that we're going on, then you're good. You're good. Perfect. Uh, I'll take the I'll take the Thunder too. I think they, uh, I think with the way the team's healthy, the way everyone is, there's just something to be said for a team that gets along, that gels really well, that is young, but. There's experience to counteract that with guys that have been there, done that. Uh, I could be wrong on this, but I feel like the Thunder – I was worried about them being able to carry that momentum that they had whenever they had to shut everything down. I was worried about them being able to recreate that in the bubble, but I feel good about it. I I really do. I like this team. I like the things that I've seen out of them. They're they're surging. I think they're confident. So, uh, yeah, give me the Thunder as well. Yeah, and the 
the one interesting thing is this is a game where I'd be like, oh, well, you know, this will help him get to the fourth seed instead of the fifth seed. Oh, wait, that, that just doesn't matter anymore. I mean, there's, uh, well, I guess, I don't know, maybe the Thunder want to play with their logos on the screens there in the bubble. I, I don't know, but it's going to be fun. I'm just so damn excited to watch them play a game that means something. And it's really fun that it's against the Jazz. I think we're all going to enjoy rooting against the Jazz, but more specifically, just rooting against Rudy Gobert. I mean, are we, we're never going to cheer for that guy again, ever. No. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. I, I don't know how it's going to play out because, you know, as well as I do, Gabe, these games, it gets heated out there. You know, when there's elbows flying and guys, you know, a hard foul here or there, it gets heated. You know, there's been times where the two locker rooms had to be separated and guys are like running around trying to find the other other team. Well, they're all staying in the same place now. So I, I just think it's going to be fascinating to see how those situations play out. Like if, if there's beef that's, that has existed before or starts up now, it could really turn into some bad stuff down there, I which I hope happens. <laughs> I love it. I hope it happens too. I'm not even going to lie. All right, Ted, let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. And those are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Let's go. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week? Right now, and I know we've talked about this before, but and it's official today. Notre Dame, man, Notre Dame is my winner. I think it's really cool that they're going to play a full 10-game ACC schedule. I think it's awesome that they've got the availability to play in the championship game. I, I just can't imagine anything cooler than being in Notre Dame's position. I know a lot of people out there think it's stupid that they're not in a conference and think they should be forced to join a conference. Okay, I, I agree. But they're not in a conference right now. They've got an opportunity to go in to the ACC, play a championship game, and win the conference, and then totally walk away the next year if they want to. Say, hey, thanks for letting us play. That was awesome uh, letting us win the trophy to your conference, but we're out of here. Thanks. Maybe we'll see you next time. And also going to share revenue, the contract they have with NBC, the ACC has their, their network deal. I think it's going to be a winner for everyone, specifically Notre Dame, if they can win the conference championship. I would love if Notre Dame wins the ACC and Clemson, of all people. We've always talked about how easy the ACC is, how easy Clemson has. It's a cakewalk to the college football playoff. If Notre Dame wins that conference, and Clemson doesn't get to go. I just think it's a chance for, like, the coolest thing ever. That would bring you immense joy. I can, I can just tell in your voice that that would – I once again, sign me up for that rematch in you know, the ACC time, championship game. 
last time I said that I wanted Clemson to lose in the ACC championship, I think I tweeted it and Coach Venables texted me about it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, maybe we'll send him the clip of this. Maybe. Probably not, but maybe. All right, Ted, who do you have as your loser of the week? Man, you, you beat me to this one, so I'm going to take a different angle on it. I'm going to take Dusty Baker. You know, he tried to defend his guys from this dust-up that went on, and I just – he acts like it's his first time ever being around Major League Baseball. This is how, this is how baseball has always policed themselves. Whenever you break the rules, written or unwritten, you're going to get beamed. That's how it goes. That's how it's always gone. If you flip your bat after a home run, someone's going to throw at you the next time you're up there. That's just how baseball's always done it. Some people like it. Some people hate it. Some people are annoyed by it. Some people think it's cowardly to throw a baseball at another guy. I mean, there's opinions all over the place. But when Dusty Baker tries to act like he's shocked and uh, doesn't understand it and thinks it's completely wrong, he's had guys throw at people. He's had pitchers throw at people. This is what baseball's always done. He had a, he had a guy that was called the B word. What's he supposed to do? I mean, <laughs> come on, Dusty. It's not your first rodeo. Okay, this- let's just – I, I want to hop in here. So my loser of the week – is Major League Baseball for them suspending Joe Kelly for eight games. So I I do want to say I was going to make it the Marlins, right, for doing whatever the hell they did to spread the coronavirus throughout that team. Now, sounds like they may have gone out in Atlanta, but Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, whoever you want to blame, the fact that Joe Kelly from the Dodgers gave us all what we wanted to see, literally, I mean, he threw behind Bregman's head. It wasn't that close to his head. He brushed back Correa, and then he talked shit to him after he struck him out, allegedly saying, nice swing, bitch, which is hilarious. And Joe Kelly gave us an all-time meme with the pouty face after he struck out Correa. Like, and Major League Baseball suspends him eight games. That's eight games in a 60 game season now i expect that to get reduced but that is nuts that is fucking nuts eight games in a 60 game season for giving everybody giving all the fans all the other players in the league what we want to see i mean it's just ridiculous and i know the hilarious part is joe kelly wasn't even part of the 2017 dodgers team that lost to the astros now he was on the red sox so i understand why he's still pissed off but I just – sometimes baseball just can't get out of its own way, man. It's, it's crazy to me. Here's what's – I mean, this is not the first time that the Astros players have been hit. It's not the first time the Astros players have been hit since they started playing baseball again. They've been hit pretty much every game. Uh, what the, I think on the first game, it was in, uh, uh, an exhibition, I think, but – the pitcher hit the first two batters they played when they when they restarted playing baseball. And they should. They got caught cheating. Okay. But Kelly didn't hit anyone. 
He did not hit anyone, and he got suspended eight games. But, Teddy, he called a guy a bitch and then made a pouty face. You I can't mean, do that. It's, it's unbelievable, it's stupid, dude. Man. It's stupid. Um, he struck the dude out. He brushed him inside three times and then sat him down. Okay, so I, I don't know. I thought it was stupid, and I thought it was stupid how Dusty Baker acts like he is shocked by what happened. Shocked? What? I mean, come on, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> that was such a good what? Oh, maybe I should buy a Joe Kelly jersey. That was awesome. I loved every second of that. It, you know, he does kind of look a bit psycho out there. Oh, I, I love mean, how crazy you, he looks. He's got the you, craziest look in his eyes. Oh, he does. When you throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball at a guy's head and he ducks it and walks to first base and you yawn like – no big deal <laughs> what, that one hey i love how he said i think after the game they asked him about it, he said my accuracy is not the best or something <laughs> something like that just hilarious hey it got away from me all right well i already did my loser of the week so i'll just give you my winner of the week ted bill belichick <laughs> this man has won so many football games and emotionally scarred so many people in the football world that he, that people think players that are opting out on the Patriots is somehow some sort of Bill Belichick Jedi mind trick. And that is one of the funniest damn things I've ever heard because you've got guys like Dante Hightower, Marcus Cannon, Patrick Chung, a few other guys that have opted out. Dan Vitale, former teammate of mine that opted out. These guys are making extremely tough decisions. They're deciding what is best for their health, what is best for their family's health. A lot of the times it has to do with their children or maybe something their children are dealing with. They are doing what they think is best for them. Yeah, do they get a little cash if they opt out? Yeah, sure. But Everyone thinks that this is being orchestrated by Bill Belichick. That is how much trauma he has caused the NFL world. I mean, you got GMs going, well, maybe we should start telling our guys to do it. What does he know? What's he doing? Are they, are they tanking for Trevor Lawrence? No, the Patriots aren't tanking. These guys are just doing what they think is best for their family. But it is absolutely awesome that Belichick has won so much and has such a ruthless reputation that people think he is just a puppet master pulling all the strings behind the scenes. I mean, this whole thing, it's hilarious to me, man. And that's why he's my winner of the week. He's just that damn good at his job that people think he is convincing these guys to walk away from huge amounts of money. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. I, it's, the, the best part about it is it's believable. Like Every Correct. conspiracy theory has to have some amount of believability to it. And this is believable. It's believable that he would walk to some of the best players on the team and say – well, you know, we're going to throw this season to try and get the Lawrence kid out of Clemson. So we don't want you to take any unnecessary injuries. Um, we want you guys to opt out. And if that story leaked, 
tomorrow, everyone would be like, that doesn't surprise me. Doesn't surprise me at all that Belichick would tell his guys to do that and try and gain an advantage where no one gets hurt for the next year. Here's what I think is interesting. And while you were reading it, I, you know, I hadn't, I'd seen this story, uh, obviously, and talked about it a lot, but there's something that I, I don't know. And if we find anything out about it would be like fascinating is I know the guys get some cash, but I'm interested to see like what that means for salary cap implications whenever it comes to next spring and free agency and stuff like that. Like what the, like, what does that do to their cap number? Because, you know, whenever the, whenever the, the fiscal year starts for the NFL and you can carry stuff forward and different bonuses. I mean, I just, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's just fascinating to see how that stuff works because it's not, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Bill Belichick is finding some way to manipulate the situation. Cause is there any other team that even has, he would never, I mean, they've only changed the rules like every year because of something that he does. Is there, is there any other team that's had anywhere near this amount of guys that have well, done that? They've had like five or six guys. Six. Right? They've had six, at least yeah. six. And like three or four of them are big starters. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Maybe he is doing something. Oh God. I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting for like next season in the, or, or next spring, whenever they start talking about free agency, and it's going to be because they had these players opt out last year, they get to carry forward, like however much in some salary exemption cap. that allows yeah. them to sign some big time free agent. That right. wouldn't surprise me at all. But the paranoia that this has created is it's awesome. All right, Ted, let's finish up like we always do. And that's with everyone's favorite segment, keeping it local, where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And tonight's is sports related. The Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame has pushed their 2020 induction all the way until April 26th of 2021. April 26th, fun fact, my brother's birthday. How about that? Now we've got several people on the list that are going to get honored. It's just going to happen a little later. Teddy, any of these names, ring a, ring a bell, Tommy Chesbro, Sherry Cole, Eddie Griffin, Stacey King, he could play a little hoops. Hub Reed, Buddy Ryan may ring a bell for you. And then Lee Allen Smith, does anyone raise money better than that man? I don't know. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a really fun list. I think uh, Sherry Cole is awesome. Uh, Eddie Griffin, awesome. I got to go to the, the luncheon that they had when they kind of introduced everyone and Rex and Rob Ryan were there, and Rex spoke oh, on behalf all, of wait, uh, Buddy Ryan. Wait, Rex and Rob were there together? Uh-huh. Have, yep. you, have you ever had the pleasure of enjoying a beverage or two with either Rex or Rob? I haven't, but Old Rex, mama. I went to football camp whenever I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school, whenever Rex was the linebacker coach at Oklahoma, and uh, that was an experience. But he's, he was a great – he was great. He, uh, he spoke. He had the entire room just dying oh, laughing. And, he's awesome. He was, he was so much fun to play for in Buffalo. You talk about a guy – a player's coach. That guy's the man. I would do anything for that guy. i tell you what's amazing is their dad came up with the, the 46 defense 
way back in the day and everyone still runs it to this day. Every single legitimate defense in college or NFL still runs the Bear defense, originally the 46 defense. It's still a go-to short yardage or goal line, and uh, it's fantastic. I knew that that would, uh, yeah. that would have a special place in your heart. Uh, one other note before we get out of here, Lou Henson – who was inducted into the 2000 or was it an inductee in the 2019 Oklahoma sports hall of fame class died at 88. Uh, he's also in the college basketball hall of fame, won a ton of games at Illinois in New Mexico state, took the Illini to the final four, just wanted to send our condolences to the Henson family. I believe he's from okay. Okay. A Y. Okay, Mustangs, about 10 miles from my hometown. I, I knew that that would ring a bell for you because right. I, looked at, I looked it up on a map before I brought it up. Because I, I played like, many basketball games in that okay gym. I once got uh, uh, dunked on by uh, Dante Swanson from Wagner uh, in that gym. So that was pretty cool. He was a fantastic player. So, yeah. I know okay well. <laughs> that sounds like a nice and traumatic memory for you <laughs> there in okay. All right, Ted, episode 29 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me on Sirius XM, Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. We'll have all your coverage for Big 12 Media Day on Monday. That's all virtual coaches only no players, which whatever, we'll make the best of it, baby. We hope you all have a great weekend until next time. We appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do. Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time.